This is Condopedia. Here, we talk about everything related to condo law in Ontario, with hopefully some humor mixed in. Welcome, everybody, as you're joining us for our Friday sun is shining, gorgeous day, condo crunch. We usually have a lovely video playing right now, but we're just having a minor technical glitch right now. So we're just gonna go ahead and I'm gonna jump on and just welcome everybody to our session today. Unfortunately, uh, sometimes these things happen, so we just have to roll with it. So we don't get to play our fun video this morning or today. It must be a Halloween thing because we were contemplating having a Halloween theme. And I think maybe fate is getting back at us for not dressing up in costumes today. Maybe in between speakers, we'll have to try and find a costume or two. So it is 12.01 p.m. I hope everyone's having a fantastic day. It is gorgeous outside. The sun is shining. So we're going to do our best today to be concise and to the point. So welcome to our second edition of the Construction Condo Crunch. Today we're going to be tackling essentially prompt payments and when you may be thinking about terminating or not paying your contractor. Really, really difficult issues. Um, so today, though, we're going to try and give you the key issues that you need to be thinking about. As per usual, our condo crunch is our opportunity to try and impart as much information as we can in 30 to 45 minutes. So we don't take any questions live or in writing during our condo crunch. Our Q&A session however, is the time where you can ask questions and we do have a Q&A coming up. I'll tell you when that is at the end of our session here today. So we're going to go ahead and get ourselves started, and I'm going to introduce and invite our first speaker, David Liu. David is one of our associates in the office. So David, if you want to go ahead and turn on your camera, there we are. So David is going to start us off with a bit of a summary of a time frame for prompt payments. What does this regime look like? What, what is this all about? So David, I'm going to go ahead and mute myself and turn it over to you. Thanks, Nancy. So yes, my topic is on the initial steps of the new prompt payment mechanism that's under the Construction Act. The main purpose of this mechanism is to basically keep the construction projects moving along, even if there are disagreements by ensuring as much as possible that the money keeps flowing at the same time that the parties are able to uh, have access to a swift interim adjudication process. The first step, in this new process is what is known as a proper invoice. A proper invoice triggers the payment clock that runs. Pursuant to the Construction Act, a proper invoice must contain the following. One, the, const uh, the contractor's name and address. Two, the date of the proper invoice and the time period during which the services or materials were provided. Three, information identifying the authority, whether that's in the contract or otherwise, under which the services or materials were supplied. So uh, it has to reference the specific contract or uh, a change order, etc. For a description, including quantity, where uh, appropriate of the services or materials that were supplied. Five, the amount payable for the services or materials that were supplied in the payment terms, and six, the name, title, telephone number, and mailing address of the person to whom the payment is to be sent. There may be other additional requirements uh, that is required for a 
prompt uh, for a proper invoice to be a proper invoice under the specific project contract documents themselves. But one condition that is not applicable is uh, that for there to be any requirement prior to an invoice being considered a proper invoice that the consultant or payment certifier has to certify the invoice first or that the owner has to approve the invoice. In other words, the Construction Act does not allow um, uh, the consultant or the owner to have a say in terms of whether the invoice is considered a proper invoice, so long as the six items that are listed are met and if there's any other uh, conditions in the construction documents that also touch on this subject, aside from uh, whether or not uh, the amounts are reasonable or not. Now, the issue of whether or not an invoice amount is reasonable is dealt with at a later stage that I'm gonna to touch on. Now, when you first get an invoice in, under the current regime, it is usually good practice to have the consultant be involved to determine if necessary, whether the invoice is a proper invoice as defined under the act. And then later, assuming that the invoice is a proper invoice, you all usually want to have the consultant or the payment certifier uh, analyze the invoice to determine what the amount, if the amount that's being asked for is reasonable and reflective of the work or uh, the supplies that are provided. Uh, and yeah, so that's the that's the kind of the role that your project consultant or the uh, payment certifier would do. Uh, one other point about proper invoices is that. The contractor is supposed to provide them on a monthly basis, unless the project contract says otherwise. Uh, sorry, unless the project contract document says otherwise. So that means that you're you're supposed to get them on a fairly regular basis, unless of course your contract says otherwise. Okay. So assuming that the contract received is indeed a proper invoice as defined under the statute, the owner then has to pay the invoice no later than 28 days after receiving the invoice. So it's a little bit less than a month or so. If, however, you want to dispute a proper invoice, and when I mean dispute here, I mean disputing the amounts that are being asked for, this is what you can do. Uh, the owner kind of has two options. They can either refuse to pay all of the amounts owing or part of the amounts owing. And this is kind of where you'll want to have your consultant come in and give you, the, uh, give you their expert opinion as to the reasonableness of the amounts asked for. And um, you'll want to have that opinion before you decide on whether it's uh, the amount is something that you want to dispute or not. Now, the statute here is pretty rigid. If the owner is disputing a part of the invoice amount, the owner must then pay the amount that is not in dispute. For any portion that is disputed, so if it's a part of the invoice or all of the invoice, the owner must provide a contractor with a notice of non-payment. This is a statutory form. And so you can find that um, uh, on, on the government website. And you have to submit this form within 14 days of receiving the proper invoice from the contract. So I repeat here, the deadline to submit a notice of non-payment, which will allow the owner to not pay all of the invoice or part of the invoice is 14 days. That's different from the deadline to pay an invoice under the new regime, which is 28 days of receipt. So this means that your project consultant or the payment certifier has to work relatively quickly 
in analyzing the invoice and providing the owner with the requisite commentary so that the proper decision has to be made. If there's a situation where the owner fails to submit the notice of non-payment on time, the statute requires that the owner pay the invoice. Like there's basically, under the wording of the statute, there's basically no other way to get around paying it. Now, that doesn't mean that as an owner, you can't have opportunities later on for set off, particularly if uh, issues with respect to the work is discovered later on and or that it later is discovered that there's an overpayment for the value of worker supplies provided. But at that specific moment when um, you are facing deadlines to pay or to submit a uh, notice of non-payment or not submit a notice of non-payment, the statutes currently say that um, if notices, if a notice of non-payment is not provided, the invoice must be, must be paid. And if the inv and if the owner doesn't pay the uh, invoice on time, then interest begins to accrue. The amount of the interest depends on whether. Uh, there is an interest percentage that's uh, uh, considered in the project documents. If not, then the statute says that the owner has to pay the percentage rate that's under section 127 sub two of the Court of Justice Act, uh, which right now is 0.5%, but the government can change that percentage on a quarterly basis. And the construction act stipulates that if there's, uh, if there's also a percentage in the contract documents, pick the one that's higher in terms of the interest that begins to accrue for non-payment. And then lastly, just a quick I'll note is that these kinds of prompt payment mechanisms, they apply to owners, but they also apply to contractors as well when it comes to paying their subcontractors. So it isn't just the owners that are affected. And all of this is designed to move the project forward and whenever possible, keep the money moving so that even if there is a dispute amongst parties, uh, the project doesn't get too much uh, the project doesn't get stalled too much. And I, and then there's a new mechanism on the side to deal with interim adjudication that I know, I believe Christy will be touching on later on. So I'm gonna stop here and um, let Nancy take back the mic. Fantastic, David, thank you so much for that. So as everybody can see now from David's initial summary, there are some pretty tight timelines that you have to be thinking about when it comes to invoicing now using these uh, standard uh, construction terms and the prompt payment regime. Now let's assume that unfortunately there is a dispute that arises. Uh, you've made your payment, but you're still not happy with the way things have been unfolding. And so you want to have a dispute with respect to those issues. Christy is gonna join us now. And Christy, if you wanna go ahead and turn your video on. Christy's gonna walk us through some of the key issues to be thinking about or be aware of for the adjudication process. Christy, over to you. Thanks, Nancy. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be discussing the adjudication process that is built into the prompt payment regime that David just spoke about. So um, David was talking about that 28-day window following receipt of an invoice and what needs to be done within that 28 days and actually needs to be done within 14 days if you don't agree with the invoice. Um, in the event you deliver a, a notice of non-payment or a notice of partial payment, or if you simply don't pay. So if the 28 days uh, comes and goes and no pay payment is made, um, the contractor can then start the adjudication process um, under the prompt payment regime. Um, and so again, this is the process that is designed specifically to address issues of payment 
where a notice of non-payment or partial payment had been delivered or payment has not been made by the party responsible for paying the contractor. And again, this entire process is designed as David touched on at the end of his presentation to keep the money flowing so that the work can continue um, because obviously money trickles down from the contractor to subs um, and, and to suppliers and so on. And, uh, and so one non-payment can result in complete uh, stoppage of work. And this entire process is designed at avoiding those situations, keeping the money flowing where it's appropriate in order for the work to continue. The process of adjudication, so it's a formal process under the Construction Act, and it's, it's an alternative dispute resolution process. So it's something that's designed to take place outside of a courtroom. And uh, it's designed also to be done very, very quickly. So within about 30 to 45 days is the adjudication timeline. Um, and it's supposed to be relatively cost-effective and, as I mentioned, very quick um, so that it doesn't become cost-prohibitive prohib to engage in it. And then, as I mentioned earlier, it ensures that the, the, the construction um, work is not interrupted as, as much as possible. Once a claimant, uh, so it's the process is, is triggered when a claimant delivers a notice of adjudication. And the claimant can, so claimant, when I use the word claimant, that's the wording used by the Construction Act, but really what we're talking about here is the contractor. So when the contractor delivers a notice of adjudication um, to the condominium corporation in the specific context that we're talking about, or the owner of the project, um, that's what triggers the process to start. And the claimant or contractor will do that again, where they've received a notice of non-payment or partial payment that they disagree with, or where they have not received payment without receiving any kind of notice of non-payment. This process, the adjudication process under the Construction Act is all done through an authority designated by the government as uh, the Ontario Dispute Adjudication for Construction Contracts Authority um, or the ODACC. It's a bit of a mouthful, uh, but this is the authority that's designated to handle all adjudication um, under the prompt payment regime under the Construction Act. This authority has largely set up an online system for adjudicating disputes. Sometimes there will be um, testimony from parties, uh, but a lot, of, a lot of these processes are designed just to be an analysis of documents. So the claimant and the party who has not paid or who has only made a partial payment will provide documentation to support their positions with respect to the payment, and the adjudicator will review the documentation and then issue a decision. Testimony can be heard, so there could be a hearing if the adjudicator feels it's required, and the adjudicator can also um, direct the parties to hire an expert. Um, the adjudicator can ask for testimony from experts in terms of um, uh, the, the, par the party's relative positions. Um, but again, generally speaking, it's going to be an analysis of documentation that takes place, and then the adjudicator will issue a decision. Something that's really important to note, and David touched on this in his presentation, I just feel that it's probably worth circling back on. If you have not delivered a notice of non-payment or a notice of partial payment, and you have instead simply not paid by the 28th day after receiving an invoice, that may to some extent tie the adjudicator's hands in terms of what they can hear from you as to your reasons for non-payment. You may very well have good reasons for non-payment, but if you haven't, um, provided those reasons by way of notice of non-payment or notice of partial payment, the adjudicator may not want to hear from you or may, they, they would have the authority to not hear from you. Um, 
and, and to disregard whatever those reasons may be because they were not properly set out in a notice of non-payment or notice of partial payment. So it's really important to note that if you disagree with an invoice that you provide your notice of non-payment or notice of partial payment so that you have a basis to advance your position in terms of why you didn't pay or why you're only paying part um, before the adjudicator. In terms of the cost of the adjudication process, this is a cost that's shared. So the cost, there is a cost associated with the adjudicator. The parties will um, effectively decide on an adjudicator or the ODACC can, uh, can assign an adjudicator. And then the costs of that adjudicator are going to be shared equally by the parties. But the adjudicator does have the ability to order how those costs are to be reallocated at the end of the adjudication if the adjudicator feels it's appropriate to do so. The outcome from an adjudication is binding. So it's just as enforceable as a court order. Um, so if an adjudicator orders that payment be made, that's a binding decision and it must be complied with. It is worth noting that an adjudicator's decision in the context of a Construction Act adjudication um, is considered interim. So it's not considered a final decision, which means basically that you can have the issue reviewed um, through the courts by way of court action or by way of arbitration um, if your construction contract says that disputes go to arbitration, which many do. Um, so you can have the issue reviewed through one of those two uh, more formal and involved processes if you choose to, if you don't like the outcome. Uh, but in the meantime, you're bound to comply with the adjudicator's decision. And in terms of an order to pay, if the adjudicator does make an order to make a payment, the payment has to be made within 10 days of the adjudicator's decision. And if payment is not, um, it can there, there can be some pretty significant consequences for not making payment. In particular, it, it basically gives the contractor the right to suspend their work and to charge the owner of the work or the, the condominium corporation in the context that we're sort of talking about here, the contractor would be able to charge you back for the costs of demobilizing and remobilizing if and when you eventually pay, as well as any other expenses they incur as a result of the suspension of the work. So it's, it's best if an adjudicator makes an order to pay, that payment really should be made within that 10 days. There's, there's no basis on which it's not appealable. Again, it's subject to further review down the line if you choose to, to follow that process, but the decision itself is not appealable. And so you, you really have no choice but to comply and to avoid additional costs, best to make that payment within 10 days. Um, so I guess in terms of a takeaway from today, while the, the adjudication process is a relatively quick and cost-efficient process, so it's a, it's a good way to, um, relatively good way uh, to resolve disputes with respect to what you might owe a contractor if you disagree with it. It's not a great process to use as a way of delaying payment um, because if you don't have, if there's not true basis on which to dispute the payment on the invoice, um, then ultimately you could be on the hook for additional costs associated with the adjudication. Um, and there can be other implications if you choose not to pay, as I mentioned, within that 10, 10 day time frame following a decision. So it's best to simply, if you're the overall takeaway, I guess I would provide to all of you today is that if your consultant certifies payment, um, hopefully you're getting input from your consultant on payments that are due. If your consultant certifies the payment, confirms that it should be made, the best thing to do is to make the payment within the 28 days from receiving the invoice. 
Um, but if there's reason to dispute the invoice, as I mentioned, make sure you get your notice of non-payment or notice of partial payment in um, within the 14 days so that you, you can have a voice essentially in the, the adjudication process. So the adjudicator will listen to the basis on which you're, you're saying you're not um, required to make payment. The adjudication process, one final note, it doesn't cover things like quality of work or warranties. So if you dispute, um, you know, if, if the invoice says certain work was done and you agree that that work was done, but you don't like how it was done or you think there might be deficiencies with it, that's the, the adjudication process through the prompt payment regime is not the place to um, dispute that. Disputes with respect to the quality of work or warranties should be dealt with uh, after through the normal court process or through arbitration if, if needed, um, or just through discussion with the contractor. And I know Jim is actually going to be getting into that a little more in, uh, in a moment here. So that's it for me, Nancy. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you, Christy. And I think another takeaway that we might take from both uh, Christy and David's presentation is in a condominium setting where decisions are typically made or have to be made at a board meeting, of course, uh, and boards sometimes don't meet for 30 days at a time or once a month or once every two months in some cases, depending on what time of year you might be in, you're really going to want to think about as a board, how are we going to set up a decision making mechanism to deal very quickly with payments received, when payments are going to be made, and whether or not a notice of dispute is going to be filed or whether partial payment is going to be made. Because again, these decisions have to be made fast and you want to make sure that you have a mechanism in place to make those decisions quickly. So David and Christy, thank you so much. We're going to want to turn now to our final speaker today. Jim, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn your camera on. Jim is going to talk to us about some of those tricky issues we might find ourselves in. What if we don't want to make payment? What if we have a basis for not making payment? So Jim, over to you for these tricky issues. Thanks very much, Nancy. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks very much for joining us. As Nancy was saying, I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about specific issues, tricky issues that we do often see on a construction job and related implications of the new prompt payment provisions. So I'm thinking of situations where you don't feel you should be paying the contractor's invoice. So let me start with the following simple concept that applies to construction projects. Until lien rights have expired, you are required to hold back 10% of the value of the work. That 10% is security for the subcontractors. In other words, the subcontractors have a lien claim for that 10%. That's the construction lien. So if you pay any of the 10% to the contractor, you may end up having to pay twice because you may have to pay it again to one or more subcontractors. So I think of it this way, until all lien rights have expired, you should not pay more than 90% of the value of the work at any given time to the contractor. Now the new prompt payment provisions are designed to ensure that the 90% is paid and is paid without delay to the contractor. And then in turn to the subcontractors and whatnot as David and Christy were explaining. Now, this all sounds simple enough. You pay 90% of the value of the work as you go, you hold back 10%. But when might there be a problem? Here are the problems that we see most often. You discover a defect in the contractor's work. So you conclude that the contractor 
perhaps has been overpaid, or in other words, that if you pay the contractor's invoice, the contractor could be paid more than the 90% value of the work. Second situation, you feel that the contractor's invoice is otherwise unreasonable because you feel that the contractor has overestimated the value of the work performed to date. Third situation, for some other reason, you feel that the contractor's invoice is not in keeping with the contract. Now, in each case, you'll need to consider perhaps objecting to payment in the prompt payment process as Christy and David have described. Few things I want to stress. If there is deficient work, in my view, it should be deducted from the value of the work performed to date at any particular time. In other words, deficient work does not have value. In my view, the calculated value of the work performed at any given time should be reduced by the estimated cost to rectify deficient work. Or in other words, the deficient work is not included in the 90%. Sometimes we hear comments along the following lines. It's okay to include deficient work in the value of the work performed to date because the deficient work will be covered by warranties that apply for a year or two following the completion. But I'm concerned about that. If you take this approach, you're relying upon warranties to give you a proper finished product. And a warranty is not helpful unless the contractor remains viable. A contractor can go bankrupt at any time. Furthermore, warranties are for problems that appear after the job is complete. Also, it's far more difficult to argue about deficient work after you have paid. Another comment we hear is, don't worry about the deficiencies until you do a final review at the end of the job. Again, I don't agree with that. Deficiencies should be evaluated on an ongoing basis. Otherwise, you may discover at the end of the job that the contractor has been overpaid but you will still be on the hook to the subcontractors for the 10% holdback. So the point is, if you overpay at any time, there is a risk that you may lose that overpayment. So my foremost message is, make sure that work is properly evaluated for any deficiencies on an ongoing basis. And also that each invoice from the contractor is properly evaluated and ideally certified by a consultant. My next message is, in order to be able to argue about any of these issues with the contractor, you will likely need support of an expert, ideally the consultant on the job, whose role is typically to review the work in progress and certify each payment. But if you don't have a consultant on the job and you end up having your own concerns about any of these issues that I've described, you will probably need to hire a consultant at that time to provide supporting evidence. You'll need a report as Christy was describing, you'll need a written evidence as to the value of the work that takes into account, in my view, the deficiencies. So again, the bottom line is that if you end up wanting to argue with the contractor about any of these issues, you'll need help from an expert. If there is a consultant on the job, of course, you need to go to that consultant. Otherwise, you may need to hire an expert to help when the problem arises. And again, You'll have to deal with the prompt payment provisions described by David and Christy and figure out how you express your concern about the value of the work and therefore about the amount of the invoice that you've received from the contractor. One option, of course, is just to pay in accordance with the contractor's invoice. You would still reserve your rights to assert claims down the road, to challenge any overpayment down the road, 
But again, this bothers me because it's much, much easier to work things out before payment rather than relying upon claims after payment. And as I've been saying, if you make payment, you run the risk of the contractor subsequently going bankrupt. The other option is to oppose the prompt payment in the manner described by Christie and David. But again, I believe you'll need help from an expert if you hope to successfully challenge the prompt payment requirements. Usually that expert should be the consultant on the job. But in my view, if you have good reason to dispute an invoice, I tend to prefer the idea of submitting the dispute and challenging the invoice. Um, again, once funds are paid, I think it's always more difficult to get them back. Furthermore, once funds are paid, it's almost always more difficult to have deficiencies rectified. Some last comments. What if you receive notice from a subcontractor that the subcontractor has not been paid by the contractor? In some cases, you may even receive notice that a subcontractor has registered a construction lien. Very briefly, depending upon the specific circumstances, you might be obligated to stop making further payments to the contractor, and you might also need to make an objection in the prompt payment process. However, these can be very tricky issues and perhaps not, not permitted in the prompt payment process. So I suggest that you seek advice from the consultant and or from legal counsel if you ever encounter such a situation. If a contractor or subcontractor wishes to register a construction lien against a condominium's common elements, they are now required to provide notice to the condominium corporation and to all owners. And they'll need to figure out how to do that because from what I can see, the Construction Act doesn't spell it out. So registration of a construction lien against condominium property is now quite cumbersome for contractors and subcontractors. Finally, if a construction lien is registered against the condominium property, there's no need to panic. As long as you are holding the appropriate holdback, there is really no risk. You can deal with the lien quite easily in the status certificates and in a notice to all owners. Eventually, there will be a court action to be defended, which comes after the lien. But in many cases, the issues are resolved before any court process. So my message there is that you can usually deal with a construction lien if one happens to be registered. Those are my comments, Nats. Thanks. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jim. And on the construction lien aspect, I can tell you that we are dealing with several of these types of issues in our office. And in some cases, you can also make payment into court. We've done this in a couple of cases where a bunch of units were for sale and owners were concerned and a little bit nervous about having these construction liens registered on title to their units. So we just made payment into court because, of course, we're holding the money in any event. Those liens get discharged and then we have lots of time to work out the issues. So, uh, David and Christy and Jim have highlighted some of the really tricky issues that you're going to face, uh, could potentially face uh, when you've got disputes with respect to payments. And of course, to ensure that payments are made promptly uh, when no dispute exists and filing your notice of dispute if one does. These are really tricky issues, as I said, so don't worry. We're going to do as we usually do. We're going to do a podcast of this particular session. So stay tuned for that. In uh, the next week or so, you'll get another email from us to confirm that the podcast has been uploaded. In the meantime, we want to thank everybody so much for coming today. We're going to let everybody know that in November, we're going to suspend our condo crunch because the CCI Eastern Ontario has its 
and uh, semi-annual director's course going on November 3rd, 10th, 17th, and then I believe 24th. Every Wednesday in the month of November is the CCIU Ontario director's course, and we encourage everybody to attend that course. So we're going to suspend our condo crunch in the meantime, but we will be back on December 9th for our holiday Q&A. That's your opportunity to ask questions uh, of our members of our team, submit your questions in advance. Again, stay tuned for an email inviting you to that session and to have an opportunity to submit your questions. So for today, I'll say thank you again so much for attending today's Condo Crunch. Go on out and enjoy that beautiful sun. Stay safe and be well. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Conopedia is brought to you by Davidson Hu Allen, a boutique condominium law firm servicing Eastern Ontario. You can find more about our firm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or on our website at davidsoncondolaw.ca. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not intended to provide legal opinion or advice, which cannot be given without knowing the facts of a specific situation. Use of this podcast does not establish a solicitor and client relationship. The intro and outro music is provided by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com.